to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez. 46 days out as we record today from Brent Venables, leading his team onto the field for the very first time against UTEP. I'm joined by Corbin Polson. Tyler is out. He's in Vegas making the biggest bet of his life on Spencer Sanders to not even finish on any of the all Big 12 teams, I'm sure. But uh, Corbin, how are you feeling? Doing good. If uh, beers and bets last year taught us anything, Tyler's going to lose a lot of money this week while he's out in Vegas. So uh, we're both no in a trophy? better spot than he is. He, no, no, no trophy. trophy. Of course nope. not. Of course nope. not. I mean, so. hell, man, he flew right over me. Couldn't even drop it down along the way. So it's fine. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What a jerk. We'll, uh, we'll have to maybe maybe what we should do is we should do a punishment for last place. Um, he, he, shouldn't get to, he shouldn't get to play next year until he <laughs> sends until he sends the trophy. We should we should make him do something awful. I mean, if he finishes in last place, simply on on not delivering the trophy in time, I think yeah. that's that's only fair. So. At this point, I just don't know how like he lives with himself. Like, it's just unacceptable. He doesn't give a single <laughs> thought to it. I guarantee it. So, I can't wait. We're only a few weeks away. We'll have uh, week zero games. I think August twenty seventh is is those rounds, and there's a couple of games. Nebraska, most notably, playing in Dublin against Northwestern, will be interesting for OU fans. So. Can't wait to kick it off with some uh, some more beers and bets uh, this fall. So um, let's dive into recruiting. The train keeps rolling. OU gets another pair of four-star recruits since the last time that uh, we had a podcast episode. Dalen Smothers, the four-star running back out of the Charlotte area, North Carolina. And then Lewis Carter, another four-star linebacker out of Tampa, Florida. And hey, I mean, it just keeps getting better and better. The horizon looks really great as well. You've got Jacoby Johnson that could be committing soon. Uh, you've got uh, Anthony Evans that could be committing soon. You've got Macari Vickers, who kind of seems like 50-50 between OU and Alabama. All these guys, four stars. Uh, and I should mention also uh, Josiah Wagoner out of uh, the Pacific Northwest, another four star. I think three out of the four of those guys are top 250 guys. Mm-hmm. All four stars all seem like heavy leans with the exception of Vickers, who's 50-50 it just seems like there's one guy after another that's starting to to join the train here. Yeah. It's uh, again, we keep rough and we talked about it last week as well, how we felt just a few weeks back about, Oh boy, like, is this Venable's philosophy working? Are we going to just fall down the pipe? Like what's, what's going to happen here? But um, a lot of momentum right now, which I think is what we needed most. And, Two big pickups, and what I think I don't, I'm, I'm even more excited about is potential for two or three of these guys to move up in rankings. You know, I know uh, like 247 on three, the, both of those sites have updated their rankings. OU is now in play or has some five stars, um, you know, in those rankings. Rivals, I don't think has done that quite yet. So it'll be interesting to see like a guy like Jack Starnold, does he, you know, be a consensus five star across the board? Um, and uh, the, the, uh, the PJ, um, I forget how to Not pronounce his name. Thank you very much. He's he's a five star and on three, uh, the yeah. number seven overall player now. So um, definitely, some, things are heading in the right direction uh, to say the least. And so I know there's still some big names coming up, as you mentioned there, that uh, could could boost this even further. Yeah, I think it was a month ago when we had the episode that was titled three star you question mark. Yeah. And, um, since I guess we, we mentioned in that particular episode that the second highest rated recruit was Eric McCarty at the time. And I know there was a bunch of guys tied with a 5.7 on the uh, rivals tracker there. <laughs> Eric McCarty's now ranked the eighth best prospect on OU's commitment list. So just shows you how things have changed in the quality of player that has jumped on board since then. It, it is interesting to see that the three stars were like the faster ones to commit. I think, 
mainly because when you're at that level, you don't have nearly the offer list and opportunities. So, hey, that's a great offer. Go ahead and take it while it's there before someone else does. Uh, whereas your four stars, your five star type of quality guys want to go through some of their visits, especially knowing that Venable says, hey, once you commit, this is it. And um, so they don't have those opportunities to go on a cool trip somewhere, which I don't blame any kid for for wanting to do that. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you mentioned about our podcast, we're known for jinxing things. Uh, if anybody were to look into our group chat, especially come softball postseason play, uh, we try to reverse jinx things quite often. So you're welcome, Sooner Nation. We got this thing, you know, turned around for you. Um, but no, it'll it'll be interesting to kind of see how this class rounds out. I think Venables and company have done an amazing job of setting up the timing of official visits very well. Um, they're not going to set up an official visit in the summer if that you know recruit isn't planning on committing in the early fall they're going to save that for the season hope to kind of ride that wave so i think that's been one thing that has really stood out to me is just the timing of when they've decided to do these things and it's really started to pay off if you look at when you know these past few guys when they visited campus for their official visit now they've committed they've really hit the right chords at the right time with a lot of these guys yeah, and I think you definitely feel better at this point, too, as far as these guys being solid in their commitments, because mm-hmm. if they decide, hey, I want to go take another visit, then in most cases, I think Venables and crew are going to say, fine, like we'll find a replacement for you. We're not going to lose sleep right. over that. We'll go find somebody else. And so if guys are truly going to say, hey, I want to stay committed, they're not going to take those trips. They're not going to have you know, just what could be a fun trip that turns into a, oh, maybe I need to second guess my commitment to OU. Um, which I think will pay dividends in closing time once we get to that signing period in December where the coaches can feel pretty confident about the guys they have on board. They don't have to you know, look over their shoulder to see who might be decommitting. They can feel confident in that and go close really hard on the guys that are still uncommitted at that point. So uh, I think Adam, I thought you brought up an interesting question, though, about the, the balance of the class and yeah. how, you know, could this be one of the classes, at least in recent history, that has been more balanced on both sides of the ball? Um I'd be curious to go back and dig into that deeper because I do know defensive um, recruiting picked up over the past few years, but there still seemed to be a significant gap between where the offense was versus where the defense was. But if you're looking, and I'm only taking rivals numbers right now, but the average offensive star ranks on the uh, offensive side is 3.4. The defensive average star rank is 3.5. I mean, Obviously, I think all of us would love for those numbers to be a higher overall um, average star rank, but like you can't really get much more even across the board than that. Can you remember a class in the Lincoln Riley era that was this kind of even on both sides of the football? It's hard to say at this point because the class is still unfinished, but right. looking at where we are right now, you got PJ Adebore, uh, you've got uh, Lewis Carter, both top 250 defensive players, and then you've got uh, Jacoby Johnson, likely a lean to OU. He's a top 250 guy. Uh, you've got uh, Makari Vickers, who's 50-50. He would be an incredible get as a cornerback in the top 200. Uh, and then uh, there's some other guys in there as well that OU's well in the mix for. Derek LeBlanc, uh, for example, I think he's probably the next uh, defender that's going to commit. So there's definitely a huge uptick on defense, and there's a lot more balance. You feel pretty good, I think, about every single position. Defensive tackle, I think you'd like to see a little bit more there and safety as well. It feels like OU's been waiting for Peyton Bowen to flip from Notre Dame to OU for the last seven, eight months at this point. It's just been talked about and talked about and talked about, and it doesn't feel like any ground has been made, but it's still kind of there, which is weird. So he would be a real notable get. I think he got a fifth star from 247. So he's a big time safety prospect that you could reel in, but 
I think those are the two areas where you'd say, Hey, yeah, that's, that's where you'd like to see, Oh, you shore everything up, but elsewhere, like maybe another receiver here and there, your running backs look good. You got a quarterback, you've got good linemen. I mean, it, it feels pretty well, well-rounded of class. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Do you think, um, you know, you look and obviously there's exceptions with teams ranked high in the recruiting rankings, but not necessarily the production following on the field, looking at two teams to OU South in particular, I'm not in the belief that OU needs to put together classes like a Georgia, like an Alabama, like an Ohio State, that they don't they don't need to string together top five classes year in, year out to contend for a national championship. I know the data probably leans different, but at the same time, OU isn't in a recruiting bed like some of these other schools either. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you think OU needs to string together multiple top five classes to be a true national championship contender or can they get away with what they were doing in the past and kind of ranging in that six to 12 um, spot and, and, and really compete at that level. So Clemson didn't have top five classes in succession right. um, to, to get to where they were as a national championship contender. And they're really still not doing that. They have a great class this year, but um, even after winning championships, they weren't always in the top five. And so I think the blueprint here is the same thing that Clemson did. Yeah. They're getting top 10 classes in most cases. And, yeah, the, the drop-off between you know class number two and class number six is still really wide. But if you manage that talent better than Ohio State and Alabama are, then that's going to give you a leg up. You're not going to have the attrition rates. You're going to have the guys that are developing, not necessarily always on the field, but hey, if they're a third or fourth stringer, if they're an incredible teammate because of the soul program and the fact that these guys are more mature coming in because they're going to value that or maybe they're going to become more mature through that particular program, I think that's really valuable to constructing an overall team. Um, it's, it's it's the whole well-rounded aspect of what the program is now. It's not just, you know, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors because mm-hmm. um, that's not fair to, you know, Lincoln Riley, who was still a good coach, but the foundation be beneath, you know, the five-star receivers and quarterbacks was just not solid. And so you look at Venables and he's going to keep the guys in, on campus. I think he's going to keep guys from getting in the portal. He's going to be able to develop guys. And you might see some, you know, third year juniors, uh, fourth year juniors that come up and, you know, have just developed um, over time versus transferring out and, and going to find a new opportunity. I did want to get your thoughts on one more thing. Uh, and you had it brought him up recently there before we get to this sec scheduling segment. If you're, if you're thinking about Lincoln Riley's play calling, how he is as a coach, the Big Ten is a worse fit for him than the SEC, right? Yeah, because, I mean, how, how are you going to do that high-flying offense so effectively in the Big Ten? Yeah. I guess Ohio State does, but even towards November, like that gets tougher and tougher to do. And mm-hmm. I don't think that USC is going to have the, the players along the line to really compete. I mean – yeah, Wisconsin gets three stars on their offensive line, but man, those dudes are massive and yep. they have a scheme that really fits that. And USC won't have, you know, the matchup to go against you know, Iowa and Wisconsin. Like they're going to get run over in my opinion. Yeah. And and that's, it's got to become a harder, the, one of the reasons you go to USC is to be in the sunshine and beach the whole time. And now you've got to convince these kids like, no, we're going to go play outdoors at Michigan, at Minnesota, at Iowa, at Ohio state. That, <laughs> If you have to do that half the year, that's no longer as fun of a selling point going to at Oregon, at UCLA, going to Arizona is like now you're convincing these, you know, West Coast kids to go play gritty and tough football. It it just doesn't seem as appealing. So I'll be very interesting to see how USC does as a whole, but you're spot on. Like 
the styles of offense that Lincoln Riley struggle with here in Norman, or excuse me, the style of teams that he struggled with, Baylor, K State, are <laughs> all of these tough, gritty, run the football teams. And he's only going to get more of it, and they're going to be better at it than yeah. anybody he faced here. So, yeah, I, I thought that was just, I, I thought of that earlier this week, and I, I found myself yeah. laughing. Very enjoyable. Another team that you just mentioned a few moments ago, Texas AM, that OU fans like to hate on. And AM's kind of struggling in the recruiting rankings right now. And some people are theorizing that the checks aren't clearing from this past class. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. I, I guess my theory is, well, the recruits now realize that there's a ton of money at AM. So they should ask for $2 million or $3 million or, or whatever it might be that they think they could get. And that's slowing their process down in recruiting. Do you do you agree or do you think I'm I'm totally crazy there? That's tough. I'm trying to pull up their uh, recruiting rankings here right now. So 2023. And, and to be transparent, I fully expect AM to be probably sure. in the top 15 by the time it's all said and done. Maybe uh, they're just on so many big name guys. I don't follow them super closely on the recruiting trail to know that all these guys are deciding in November, for example. Right. Yeah, they're what, 62 right now in the 2023 class? Um. Yes, I think on one hand, certainly like it's good to see, but then you've got, you know, Baylor and Arkansas in the top 10, uh, you know, in recruiting Ricky. So this will even itself out. If I'm an A&M fan, like don't love it. Um, I, I probably feel similar to what we felt a few weeks ago where it's like, yeah, some of these dominoes are going to fall. It's just taking a bit longer than we expected. So uh, love to see it, but I don't imagine it probably stays that way. Yeah. OU up to number 11 in the team rankings on rivals. I think they're up to number nine and two, four, seven on three. They're kind of right there. So starting to see some alignment, some of those team rankings. And as you mentioned, programs like Arkansas and Baylor are are ranked higher, although they have a lot more recruits. So OU definitely has the room to really expand on their rankings. And some of those other teams like Arkansas, I think has like 23 total commits. They just don't have much more upward mobility. So um, they will start to to fall in those rankings. So um, really good things on the recruiting trail for OU. We've also uh, had uh, our conference media days, our future conference media days taking place this week uh, for the SEC. And Greg Sankey has come out and said some interesting things. Um, I don't think it was necessarily a surprise, but he did say that the SEC is kind of just sitting tight on the expansion. And that's not something that we discussed a few weeks ago when we talked about potential SEC expansion uh, candidates, mainly because it's not very sexy to talk about not expanding at all. It's probably the right business decision, you know, wait out the ACC see you know what changes and whether it's actually necessary to add someone else um do you think that's i mean do you agree you think that's the right move or would you go it has to be right um because i don't think that i don't think anybody in the acc can move right now i think that the when the rights renew is so far away compared to everybody else the buyout's got to be pretty substantial and if you're an espn who already has the acc rights why are you interested in letting that go to pay more for the same teams? So I think it's uh, I think it's the the only move at the moment. But yeah, I would imagine when that ACC um, when that contract starts to get closer to expiring, uh, then the poach of the ACC begins. Very similar to what the Pac-12 is dealing with at the moment. Yeah, one of the other notable things that seems to come out, which is not really notable because it's you know, standard news at this point is OU in Texas still planning for a 2025 entrance into the SEC. Yeah. I know people like to complain every time they hear that they want to get out of the Big 12. In my opinion, enjoy it while it's here. Things yeah. are going to change a lot. And there will probably be some things later on that you say, hey, wish we still had that in the Big 12. Wish we still had that matchup, maybe. Sure. Um, 
it might not be every single game on the schedule, but just enjoy it. I mean, it's just a couple of years. We'll be out of here and uh, hopefully it'll be an opportunity for Venables to really establish the, that foundation that we talked about for this team, especially winning and on the field. Enjoy the easier schedule because yeah. <laughs> that's going to go away quickly. Um, yep. Now, do I think it's going to be, you know, I don't, we're not paying, playing Alabama every week. So I don't think it's going to be a, a, just an enormous jump as far as a week in week out. But I think overall, like obviously we're headed to a much tougher conference on the football slate. Yeah. Something else Sankey kind of dropped in conversation in media days was that the SEC is looking at a single division scheduling alignment once OU and Texas join the league, meaning that there will be some combination of permanent opponents plus a rotating uh, selection of other opponents, the most popular being the uh, six plus three, meaning uh, three permanent opponents every single year for each team. And so a lot of people have gone through the exercise trying to predict who's going to play, who who will be of the permanent opponents. I think for OU, the only one you can say with 100% certainty is going to be on that schedule is, is Texas. Of course, that makes total sense for TV and everything, and neither of those schools would be on board without playing each other. So uh, that leaves two open spots, and I think a lot of OU fans just assume it'll be Texas A&M and it'll be Arkansas, the two next closest teams uh, that are – well, I think Missouri might be slightly closer than a I would have taken – I think it's going to be Missouri and Arkansas. You think so? Okay. Mm-hmm. So is, is that what your preference is or you just think that's what it will be? No, my preference would be like uh, Vanderbilt and, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess Arkansas is not, hasn't been too far off. Uh, I don't know, Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. Like that, yeah. those would be my preferences. Um, yeah. But no, I'm just trying to think of logic. And yeah, Texas, Arkansas, and Missouri make sense. Um, what I wonder is kind of looking around does does Texas pull A&M and LSU and then maybe one of the Mississippi, like as far as geographical location, like we actually have a pretty good draw, but I'm curious to what, like the, the, the trickle down effect of teams who do you, does this, is this sheer, sheerly based on geography? Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting, but yeah, I think. I don't know who necessarily who I'd want in a year in year out, like always locked in. But what makes most sense is Arkansas, Texas, and Missouri to me. Do you disagree? So, yeah, I, I like that schedule a lot. I like Missouri. I think that's a good recruiting grounds uh, yep. that you would want to target Kansas City and St. Louis. And Missouri is the only school that has influence there in the SEC. Um, you know, Alabama will go in and steal some guys from there. Georgia will, I'm sure. But sure. that's open grounds for you to establish and say, hey, we're playing in this you know, state every other year. And we're going to go take the best players because we're going to win that game 62 to 13 every single year, hopefully. And it's a pretty easy opponent to beat up on. Uh, So I like that. Um, There's opportunity. It used to be somewhat of a rivalry game, you know, back in the big eight days. And so you can kind of revive that. It's a, a game that, you know, is close enough to travel to. Arkansas would be great as well. But I think the problem that you run in with Arkansas and possibly also Missouri and Texas A&M is do those schools want to play OU because Arkansas previously has not wanted to play OU at all. That's why there's been very, very few games and matchups between those two programs. So if you're Arkansas, you've got LSU. That's a rivalry. You've got Southwest conference ties with Texas A&M and Texas. Do they really prefer OU over any of those three programs? I'm not sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And how much say is the SEC going to give each program on who they get? I just don't see that happening. I, th- I think it's a here is what you got. Mm-hmm. and But I can see potentially maybe this is a, a six plus three, but every four years 
the three changes or something like that to keep things reevaluate at least something like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the map here and yeah, it makes the most sense to see Arkansas, Missouri and Texas. Um, But yeah, you know, looking across the board, somebody's going to get a really good draw and somebody's going to get a really crappy draw. And I just don't know who that's going to be quite yet. Um, Because I mean, you think of like an Auburn, at least I haven't done this. Bama and Georgia. Bama, Georgia, Florida is like, is that, is that the move? Like, Holy cow. Um, You know, so it'll be interesting. And then, yeah, even, even South Carolina, it's Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, you know, also not really anything gimme there. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how it all plays out. But, um, but yeah, at least, you know, the chance to renew some local quote unquote rivalries would be, I think a a benefit. What about Missouri? Do you think they would want to play OU? I don't know if they'd want to play OU, but I think if it came in like a package where that included Texas and they could kind of reinvent going back to Texas, we're coming here every couple of years. I think that would probably be worth the draw of like, OU is going to be the saying the same things in Kansas city and that Missouri area. So I think it would depend on who comes with, but I can't see that being lined up when you have, quite a few other teams that are much closer from Columbia to Austin. Um, so I, I feel like if I'm Missouri, I'm like, fine, like, Oh, you make sense. I get it. Like they're close to us, but give us either Texas or Texas A&M. So now we can go recruit that with the same promise that, you know, yeah. these guys are going to come up here and recruit our area with. They've always felt so unnatural being in the SEC East Kentucky, probably the closest game that they have. That doesn't really feel like an invigorating mm-hmm. matchup for that fan base. Uh, so OU and Missouri kind of feel like the two schools where they're looking for a third opponent in that permanent rotation. And it just kind of happens to be that they're close together. So you might as well put them on the schedule. Yeah. Um, so they probably should just go to the big 10 because Illinois would be a much better, <laughs> more fun matchup, a little more even series for that fan base. They just, I don't, Missouri just doesn't feel sec to me still even, what is it? 10 years later their best years were the two years that they, the first two years that they were in it and they've done literally nothing since. Um, okay. So if it's not, if it's not Missouri and I'm assuming you're wanting Arkansas A&M and Texas. I think that's what most OU fans would want. I tend to agree more with you as far as I want Vanderbilt. I want the easy <laughs> opponents because you're going to have a great schedule regardless. Yeah. You'll play Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, like you'll have LSU great teams that will be on the schedule rotating in and out. So having some relief is not necessarily the worst thing. Right. Um, South Carolina is kind of an interesting one there. They're not necessarily the, a great program. Shane Beamer's doing some really cool things with them, and hopefully they get you know to, to be better under him. They don't seem to have necessarily that many natural opponents either. So maybe there's crossover potential there as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you would think that probably they probably stay in the Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, kind of that yeah. area, you would think. But um, I don't know. Sankey's going to figure it out where it's at least somewhat even for each team. Um, where do you put kind of all the poor performing schools in a single one? Just throw in throw in Missouri, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky and just be like, yeah. at, least, at least some of these teams are going to win some games finally. Yeah, I'd almost rather it be two permanent opponents for OU and maybe a mm-hmm. third one that rotates. and Because there are some schools out there that have three rivals they want to play every single year and so right. they need those three locked in. But maybe there's... 10 schools that don't care who the third team is and just rotate it because maybe it's better to have a rotation of someone, you know, Missouri, South Carolina, Auburn, 
Florida, whatever, rather than playing Missouri every single year. I don't know. Who, who don't has who has three big rivals though? Uh, I know LSU would probably like to play Arkansas and the Mississippi schools. Um, so I know that's a, a big one for them. They could I also thought, go I thought Texas A&M. A&M. I thought A&M and them were new rivals, or is that a thing A&M made up? Well, <laughs> I'm sure it's more on the A&M <laughs> side, but it also is not something that LSU has had to choose uh, at this point. They play all the Mississippi schools. They play A&M. They play sure. Arkansas every year. So they haven't had to make that particular choice. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. super interesting. Yeah. And then you got Alabama who wants to play Auburn and Tennessee, but the LSU rivalries a huge one for them. So yeah, you, you've got that. The Mississippi schools are geographically close. They probably want to keep some of those. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of teams that could, yeah, you're just not going to make everybody happy. And so no. you're just going to do the best you can and, and roll with it. Yeah, for sure. The uh, other quick note here, kind of along the lines of conference realignment, the big 12 and PAC 12 have announced, and I think this is more of the big 12's decision. And the way it sounds is that they've decided not to pursue a merger which probably means that the Big 12 is looking to poach some Pac-12 teams. You would think they've got some good news. They've, they've felt the waters out, and you would think the four corner schools, they're all gone. You would think Arizona's, Colorado, Utah are headed to the Big 12. That's what I walked away from that comment from. Yes, or it could be the traditional age-old tale, the Big 12 saying we're not going to split the pie up anymore, and Utah and Arizona State, for example, don't add anything to the pie. I think... I think Utah should because you get the Holy War being a Big 12 game every single year mm-hmm. versus every other year. I think there's value in that. They have massive I, I mean, enrollment at the Arizona schools, though. Yeah. Those are big schools. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's good things there, and I think there's some recruiting ground that opens up as well for the Big 12 going into mm-hmm. Phoenix more, more so. I, I wonder how that plays out for college football if they stay separate. Like, is that good or – would the Big 12 be stronger by adding some of those teams um, and potentially maybe giving a sweet offer to Oregon and Washington, like, hey, join the conference, no p- exit penalty if you get a Big 10 offer, for example. Something that's, you know, win-win for both sides. Potentially, you know, there, there might be more to it than just that. But is that better for the college football? Does that keep more of a national scene if they poach, you know, six of the teams, four of the teams? Or is it better for them to stay separate because – I just don't know if the Pac-12 survives with so many, you know, uh, so many teams gone in USC and UCLA, and having not really a strong presence anymore. If you're Oregon, how do you, how could you how could you stay? Like you are a program that has been on the cusp for the past decade and a half. Like you have been there, you made it to a playoff, you've won at least one Rose Bowl, you've won a few Pac-12 championships. How? financially, how do you stay in the Pac-12? Everybody's taking a cut. Like it, There's articles out there saying like the new Pac-12 agreement would mean this per school. And it, while it's still a, a lot of money, it is a significant cut, especially now when you're comparing it to the Big Ten's new contract, the SEC's new contract. That gap is going to widen based on, in comparison, excuse me, to what the gap is right now. And so if you're Oregon and you've been there, you're right there, you're on the cusp, clearly they have a strong financial presence in their facilities and in their program. How do you possibly stay in the Pac-12? You have to come up with something either with the Big Ten or with the Big 12, even if it's just temporary. 
But then I guess you look at the other spectrum is what exactly from a viewership and revenue perspective does Oregon bring to a conference? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't think it's a high revenue amount by any stretch of the imagination, not in comparison to SEC schools, the big, big 10 schools. So, or if you're Oregon, you kind of need to make a move, but are they a big enough fish for somebody to go out and take them? I think I don't know the, the answer to that. The answer to that actually lies in something I heard, and I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but Washington mm-hmm. State was one of the most watched teams over the last couple of years from the Pac-12. Now, they've had some good teams, so they've played in some big games, but the fact that they were one of the higher-ranked teams in terms of audience tells me that the rest of the teams don't have very much TV value. Who did you say it was? Washington State. Interesting. Yeah, so... I don't know if that's a Mike Leach effect when he was there or if it was just the fact that they were competing for the Pac-12 North on a regular basis. I I have no idea, but that just tells me that the audience is not really there. Um, Oregon, I think, draws national eyeballs when they're good and maybe playing some more games in central time zone would certainly help that. Sure. Washington, I don't really get. In my lifetime, they've never been really that great. Um, They don't seem to care about college football there, so I don't necessarily get that, but... It's a name brand with a lot of fans, I guess. So I don't know. <laughs> there's there's that. So did you hear the uh, that Newsom said the? I don't know if he said USC or UCLA. Their board of regents had no idea that the Big Ten talks were taking place. I don't. I can't believe that. Yeah, um, and you, can, you can't make that move without their approval. So I, I can't imagine that that was just like, oh, we're not going to tell the, any of the board of regents that we're thinking about this. There's no way. And, and good luck trying to shut that down legally. I just don't see a, a path forward for that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Tyler is not with us tonight. He is in Las Vegas, which means we got to talk betting because right. one of us is in Vegas. So the other two of us want to be there uh, mentally. So we're going through some conference odds. Corbin, I'll tee us up here. Yeah. So, uh, want to make it clear where these are not our conference picks. We're going to do that here in a few weeks once we're a little bit closer to the start of season, but we're just going through and all the odds are based on FanDuel. Uh, I'm not going to read them off one by one because that just sounds miserable for anybody who's listening. Um, but we have them here in front of us, uh, going through each conference again, more just like, Hey, this is a, an odd that I like, um, a team that can potentially surprise some people. And we'll go from there. We're going to start with the ACC. And one thing, that I just want to note, and this very much surprised me. I knew Duke wasn't good at football, but if you were to tell me that Vanderbilt had better odds to win the SEC than Duke to win the ACC, I would have laughed in your face. But that is exactly what is taking place here. Duke has the lowest odds of any Power 5 team at plus 100,000 to win the ACC. Um, so just thought that was an interesting note in comparison, look over to the big 10 Ohio state at minus 200. That is the best odds to win the conference of any power five team. But Adam taking a look at the, uh, the ACC here. Um, I've got a couple that kind of stick out to me, but who, if you were a betting guy, who would you throw some money on as a, uh, just cause you like the odds. Yeah. So I tend to stay away from the favorites just cause I don't think there's a ton of value there. Um, sure. You're, you're going to put, you know, a little bit of money on there and get minimal payment um, out of that. So NC state's interesting to me at plus 800. Uh, they've got, you know, a ton of returning starters as someone that grew up just uh, outside of the Raleigh area in a suburb. I have very little trust in the Wolfpack. I've seen this song and dance before. Uh, I was there when everyone was telling me how great Philip Rivers was back in the early 2000s. I think they won 11 games uh, one of those years, which was their their highest win mark ever. 
they've got a lot of players back. So you like that. You've got a very experienced uh, signal caller in Devin Leary. You uh, have, have a schedule where you are at Clemson, uh, but you've got Wake Forest at home, the other team in your division that you're really worried about. Yeah. If you can knock out Clemson at home there uh, in, uh, in South Carolina, I think that's their division to take. And I don't know that there's necessarily someone from the other side of the division that really scares me. Clemson's interesting because they had so many issues on offense last year. And yes, their defense is going to be probably phenomenal. They've got seven guys on their defensive line. They think they're going to get drafted this year, which is crazy. So they're going to be good on defense, but that wasn't enough last year to, to win their division. And what makes you think that their offense is going to be better? Uh, DJ Uyunglele has shown nothing since, you know, he filled in for Trevor Lawrence in spot duty. That makes you believe that he's the guy. You've got Will Shipley, the running back, who was injured a little bit. He had about 750 yards rushing last year. There's no one in the receivers that stands out to me. Um, I, I just don't know. I don't I, I don't have a lot of faith in that offense to turn things around. It was so rough last year. So I like NC State plus 800. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll have probably a trend here of picking schools in states that have very high caliber uh, high school athletes and recruits coming through. So I look at even though they're the second highest, uh, you know, odds here. I look at a Miami, but even even a Florida State. I mean, you just have to think at some point that program is going to put it back together. And so, looking at you know a plus three thousand, why not throw a little bit of money on that? You know, there's going to be athletes on that roster. Um, but this to me was probably one of the more harder conferences because, I mean, outside of Clemson at late, there's not an elite program in in this conference at all. You know, and so it's not like you can look a few years back and be like, oh, these guys are just a few years removed from being a really elite team and winning, you know, X amount of games. There's yeah. just not that here. It rotates tr- so fast in yeah. the ACC. It's crazy. I don't trust Miami. Every Miami is similar to kind of how, you, to me, how you phrase with NC State. You hear all the hype and you're, you know, ready to jump on board. It's Miami, the U, they're back, uh, but they never do it. So, yeah, I just for, you know, Shits and giggles. I'd probably do like Florida State plus three thousand because literally there's nobody else I think I'd put money on. <laughs> yeah, and the payout would be crazy. So it would be. I mean, everything's a risk in ACC. Might as well win big. That's right. right. Yeah, and I, I I would definitely put ten dollars on Duke plus a hundred thousand. Like you have to try, right? Just <laughs> yeah. in the weird case that like literally every other football program shuts down and Duke decides like they just <laughs> crown Duke because like I need that. So I may do yeah. that just because. Yeah. Uh, but let's shift over to the Big Ten. Uh, as I mentioned before, Ohio State has the best odds of any Power Five team, sitting at um, minus two hundred. Uh, Rutgers at fifty plus fifty thousand. Uh, who in here, this, this to me is the, the other way around. I can see a lot of teams where I'm like, Ooh, I can see that. I can see that. I can see that. But anybody sticking out to you? I have three teams on my list. I will, I'll skip one. Cause I think you might go that direction. Okay. I'll give you two from the West division. I've got Minnesota plus 3000. Uh, nice. they have specifically picked them because they have Tanner Morgan, a very experienced signal caller. And mm-hmm. then they avoid both Michigan and Ohio state and crossover. So Nice. They are at Michigan State and they are at Penn State. Penn State doesn't scare me like they used to a few years ago. Michigan State nope. is, is solid. I like them with Peyton Thorne. Um, and then uh, they're also at Wisconsin. So they do have a tough road to get there. But anytime you can avoid Ohio State and Michigan in crossover play, that's a big one for you. How about this one? A team that we're going to be playing in week three, Nebraska, plus 2,000. Not like the greatest payout odds necessarily, but they're only at Iowa and at Michigan are their two toughest road games. Yeah. And 
I went back and had to do some research. Nebraska is not necessarily the passing school that, you know, everyone thinks of when they think of prolific quarterback play, but Casey Thompson might be the best quarterback that they've had in a really long time. I had to go back to 2008 when a guy named Joe Gans, who I know he played against OU. I can't remember his name. I can't remember anything about him. <laughs> That's how forgettable he was <laughs> to find a quarterback at Nebraska that had thrown for 25 touchdowns, which is what Casey Thompson did last year at Texas. Mm. So, that's interesting. Is that Sark and Texas or is that Casey Thompson? And he's bringing that type of talent to Nebraska or is Nebraska holding quarterbacks back? Uh, who knows? We might yeah, find out some answers question. for sure. Does it bother you that Nebraska has better odds than Michigan state? Not necessarily because <laughs> Michigan state's in the much tougher division. I know people sure. are um, looking at them saying they lost their, their star running back and uh, one of their receivers, but I think Peyton Thorne's a, a great quarterback for the Spartans. Um, I don't think this is the year for them to win the conference, but they're dangerous. Yep. I like all of yours. I, this, uh, I haven't, I haven't looked over schedules or anything, so I could be picking terribly here, but I, anytime I was kind of like, people think they're going to be like, a, okay, good team, kind of be a contender. They, I, I feel like they kind of step up to the plate. I could be terribly wrong here thing is they've had so many really solid upsets in the past few years but they've always followed those upsets with some pretty bad losses maybe this is the year you know iowa plus 2000 they start to uh to put some things together but if you tell me their schedule i may I may drastically change that pick uh quickly at ohio state wisconsin obviously and uh, michigan at home in crossover can live with that yeah i just don't most, think they have enough teams are gonna lose to beat to- ohio state <laughs> No, and then we're not picking our winners. Um, you know, these are just the, yeah, the betting that's odds. Yeah, a good bet. Yeah, um, that's fair. Most most teams are going to lose up in Columbus, so it's like, okay, that's fine. That'll that'll wash out. Yeah. Um, you know, but can depending on Ohio State's schedule, can that loss be made up? Um, you know, so we'll see how that goes. Well, let's transition to Pac-12. Uh, nobody with minus odds here. Um, so. I think Vegas, to me, this seems like the most uh, competitive conference, I guess, as far as who could potentially come out on top. Uh, USC leading the way at plus 150. Arizona down at the bottom at plus 50,000. And a lot of random numbers in between there. Not really a – I mean, there's one in particular I think stands out to me, but outside of that, not much. Who do you have? I'm going with Wazoo the okay. uh, on the Palouse there. Cam Ward is an interesting quarterback transfer. One of the most interesting ones of the year coming out of Incarnate Word in San Antonio and transferring up to Washington State. Lots of good reviews from him as far as what he could be doing um, there. So anytime there's a dynamic you know, playmaker there at the quarterback position, you like that. They play Utah and Oregon at home, the two toughest games in the Pac-12 North. Nice. So I think it lines up well for him and at plus 4,000, that's a pretty solid payout. Um, but like you mentioned, there's so many teams with really high odds that it's kind of like the ACC in the sense of like, just pick a name out of a hat. <laughs> yeah. Um, even though the odds aren't really that great, um, if I'm putting money on this, I'm probably going Oregon. Uh, I'm taking a look at their schedule now here. Um, I mean, it's just such a soft schedule. We've got UCLA at home, got Washington at home, you've got Utah at home, and your road games consist of Stanford, Washington State, Arizona, Cal, Colorado, and Oregon State. No USC. No USC at all. So does that mean you're buying Bo Nix being better than he was at Auburn, or maybe he doesn't have to be better? I don't think he has to be better. Yeah. 
and that's that's part of the reason why I think USC is such a highly uh, such a high favorite is that if Lincoln can do half of what he did with his offense last year, they're probably going to roll through quite a few teams. So, yeah, to me, it's it's Oregon again. Odds aren't that high, but if you look at what it is on paper, man, that's that's hard to get away from. So, uh, let's transition over to um, again not doing the. Big 12 this evening. We discussed that a few weeks back. So our our last conference to discuss is the SEC. Uh, Bama leading the way at minus 140. Vandy uh, bringing up the rear at plus 50,000. Uh, Adam, this one's a, a bit precarious as well, but who do you have your eye on for some good odds if, uh, if you're going for it? First, I have to stand up for Vanderbilt. Clark Lee is building that program into the best in the country. Uh, and you heard That's it right. from him today at SEC Media Days, which was kind of weird because he said that, I think, in his opening statement. So there's really no reason for him to say that. It's just like, why did you have to, you have to go right. there? Um, but uh, here, I like two particular schools. Uh, I like Kentucky plus 4,000. Interesting. Uh, they are at Tennessee, they're at Ole Miss, they're at Florida. Those are their three toughest road games. I'm not sure that any of those particularly scare me. Uh, so I, I like that. You've also got another experienced quarterback in, in Will Levis. So he looks to be potentially a high-round draft pick. And so you always like that uh, possibility there. Georgia at home late in the year. So who knows where that could go. And then I also like South Carolina. Plus 15,000 on the odds, which is crazy. It's a super long shot, but if Spencer Radler is what we think he could be, and maybe Lincoln's system held him back, maybe his immaturity held him back, maybe he's corrected that, uh, that could be really interesting uh, on on what the Gamecocks can do. So they have their entire offensive line returning as well. They're at Kentucky, they're at Florida, they're at Arkansas. Those are their three toughest road games. So maybe it will come down to, hey, just get an upset at home against Georgia. That. that could be possible. It would be a real long shot, but the pat would be real sweet. Yeah, interesting there. See, I think Kentucky, I, I wouldn't touch that. Um, try to take a look here. Yeah, I'm going to go down to a couple at kind of seven and nine. I like And two teams, I don't necessarily love their schedules. I was looking that up a second ago. But again, big talent schools that have been relatively close to kind of breaking that barrier as of late, one of them winning a national championship a few years ago. But at Florida at plus 6,000 and LSU at plus 10,000. I know they're going through a head coaching change and probably a culture change, but but yeah, that seems like an interesting one for LSU to have the ninth best odds to win the conference um, from a state that just simply oozes talent. Uh, it seems... It seems like that should be uh, uh, higher than what it is. So I think if I were to put any money on anything, it would probably be that uh, that LSU plus 10,000. So um, again, but even if looking at their schedule, they host Alabama, they're on the road at Auburn, at AM. But then you're looking at, okay, at Arkansas, winnable game. Um, Mississippi at home, winnable game. Tennessee at home, winnable game. I don't know. That could that could shape out where if you go and you can take care of, um, you know, one of those tough road games. I know you're in the West. You got to compete with uh, with Alabama, obviously. But you know, say you have a chance to take care of them at home, the rest of the schedule could play out where you can compete for that. So uh, we'll see. But again, not our conference champions champions that we're picking, 
but nonetheless, uh, you know, some odds that we would lean into. So that's about it for that. But Adam, what did we miss on uh, some extra notes from around OU sports? Yeah, two things. One, football-related. The Dylan Gabriel retreats have made a lot of press lately. He took the offensive lineman out to, I'm guessing, Lake Thunderbird or some lake somewhere. Um, Lake Thunderbird might not be the most glamorous, but it is close. Uh, So he did it right. He started him out with a good breakfast at Neighborhood Jam. And then, of course, the uh, receivers. And I don't don't think he took running backs to that one out in uh, at uh, Airbnb in Lawton probably about a month or so ago. Mm -hmm. I guess it was maybe at the beginning of this month. It's been a long month. But... This is something that I guess is newer and we hadn't seen that relationship between players um, in the off season. What do you make of this? Is this something new that you think will become the norm for most signal callers that are the clear front cut leader going into the off season? Maybe that's the difference here is that we know Dylan Gabriel is QB one Lincoln mm-hmm. Riley never named a starter until the last minute. So do you think it's something that we'll see in the future? Or do you think this is Dylan Gabriel separating himself as the leader that he is? I think it's probably more the latter. I think it's more a Dylan Gabriel thing. Um, it tells me that regardless of the performance that may or may not be there on the field, at least the mentality of Gabriel, he's he's a professional. This is what professionals do. They take care of the people that are around him. They build those relationships in hopes that the um, camaraderie, the rapport, the relationship between the position groups that, you know, all of them are important for him, but especially the linemen, you know, making sure he stays upright are so valuable. And it's no different than any, like, it's no different than my job. You want to um, support financially, uh, make deals. You want to partner with people who you have a relationship with. And that's no different than what's going to be, you know, going to take place on the football field is when the times get tough, things get hard. You're going to want to push yourself as an individual or a position group harder if there's a relationship with a guy you really care about that's in the backfield. So I think it can only be a good thing, um, but I don't think this will be a continuous trend that we see, you know, year in year out. Is is Gabriel like is he and his family paying for all of this? Are they all going in on it together? Do we know like how this came about? Yeah, so the Airbnb in Lawton, I looked it up. It was like nine hundred fifty dollars yeah. a night. Yeah, and so I'm I, I'm sure he has some nil deals lined up. Um, maybe his family has some money, and they're not paying for his school, so maybe there's right. some some funds there. I have no idea, um, but uh, I think it's pretty cool, and it's it's especially interesting as a fan to see this stuff happen in the off season because there's nothing else really going on in a lot yeah. of ways. So it's cool to see the dynamic of this team for, forming and. I think it speaks a lot to the culture that Brent Venables is bringing in. It's part of it is the culture that he's instilling from the top down, but it's also the types of players and people, um, the the men that he's bringing into this program. And when you look at it, and I'm sure we'll talk about this probably in future weeks, as far as what our prediction is for this upcoming season, but you look at every game on the schedule and there's not an obvious one that, Oh, you should lose. That's pretty much the case every single year. Um, They're probably a little different when we're in the sec, but I think the difference between, you know, a team going undefeated and a team slipping up like we did every single year with Lincoln Riley was the little things. And a lot of that starts in the summer. It's the leadership like you talked about where, you know, they can have each other's back. They can trust each other. They're going to you know pull the rope harder when the when it gets going uh, a little bit tougher. And so I think that's really interesting and not that it was Radler's responsibility. He dropped the ball on it, but he never gave the vibe of, yeah, I'm doing these things for, for the guys and, and they have my back. And Caleb Bloom's kind of had that. He's a little bit younger, so you wouldn't expect that out of him. But he had the Sooner Summit. 
Um, you know, and so it felt like he was a little bit more of that type of leader. Maybe, maybe he'll develop into that over time. Uh, he's not going to be in college for more than three years, but uh, it's good to see that from Dylan Gary Bill to know that, hey, this team, um, and we always talk about two at the 2000 team, they just had something special. They weren't the most talented team, but man, they just couldn't lose. And I don't know that this team is necessarily going to do that. That's a big prediction to say that, but they have some of the secret sauce, so to speak, that could potentially you know, help them win a game here or there when it looks like it isn't going to happen. Yeah. 100%. Let's talk a little baseball sooner. Baseball team has some things to be proud of three picks inside the top 51 and 11 drafted overall. Got to feel good, right? Yeah. It's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's the constant uh, trouble with baseball as a college sport is that you want to recruit and develop well, but if you do that so well, you lose a lot of guys. And I think only eight of those 11 were actually on this team last year. I think a couple of those guys were, were ones that transferred in. Probably the most uh, notable was was Kyle Nevin, who uh, was the transfer from Baylor, hit over 300 uh, for the Bears and looked to be a, a key piece in the uh, lineup next year. So likely going to lose him. Um, I, Cade Horton, I was never holding my breath. I thought he was gone regardless of where he went in the, the first round, but he went even higher than pretty much anyone expected going in the mm-hmm. top 10 there even higher than Kyler Murray did when he was drafted. So awesome for him. I mean, what a last two months to just shoot up the boards and making millions of dollars. I think in total, uh, the slotted value was like $9.9 million between all the OU players. So that's a pretty awesome uh, graphic to put out there. I don't follow the transfer portal or the recruiting ranks nearly as closely in baseball. I think it's even harder to decipher who's good and who's not, but um, from what I'm hearing, there's still a lot of talent in the portal. Um, hopefully there's some pitchers that you can pick up because you lost David Sandlin. Um, I think one that a lot of OU fans probably thought will probably come back. And by all indications, it looks like he's playing to sign uh, with the Kansas City Royals. And so mm. that would have been your Friday stud. And uh, now you're you're completely starting over. So there's going to be some guys that need to step up. Um, you know, Kate Horton did it. David Sandlin did it this year. Jake Bennett was was a really solid piece the year before, and he took it to another level. So Hopefully there's some guys that um, were in the bullpen that can really develop over the summer and maybe some new guys that you can bring in from the transfer portal. But overall, great advertisement for the program. I mean, it feels like OU technically had the most players drafted with 11. So you want to have those. It hurts for probably the next year, but, you know, it's going to help you recruit for that 2023 and 2024 seasons. So, um you take it. It's a, it's a really good thing. It, it kind of hurts in the moment, but it is a really good thing in the long run. Yeah. Fair enough. That is my, that's my contribution to the baseball segment. I've done more than I ever have before. Yeah. <laughs> who who would have thought we'd be talking a little bit of baseball on July 19th. And maybe that's the last little tidbit we talk about until probably January, February timeframe, because football will take up a lot of airspace, but it's always good to, to mix it up with some other sports that deserve some attention. So Uh, that's going to do it for this week. We will pick up our Mount Rushmore segment where we are drafting the top players at every position group, at least offensively. We'll see what we do on the defensive side of the ball. Next, we will be uh, doing wide receivers. Took the week off since Tyler decided to go to Las Vegas and just have an absolute... who knows what's going on there? I don't even want to speculate. So uh, we'll pick that up. If you haven't, go back, listen to the last previous two weeks. We did quarterbacks and running backs. Uh, would love to hear your feedback. Tweet us at the mainline pod on Twitter. Let us know who had the best team. And of course, check out our YouTube channel. We just had a, a video that went somewhat viral, I guess, in the Oklahoma community, a little hype video for the defense. And uh, just as a little hint, there's more coming there. So make sure to subscribe over there. You can see some things that maybe are not the podcast or 
if you prefer listening to the podcast uh, or watching us on YouTube, you can do that as well. So thanks to everyone who joined us and we will see everyone again next week on the Mainline Podcast.